Good morning, sharps and squares, Jews and Gentiles. You are now tuned into 90 Degrees, where we're giving you the right sports betting angles. Our guest today is a familiar voice to many of you, Clive Bixby. He is a sharp sports better of many sports, and he's also a Hammer Network contributor as well, uh, which is a pretty kick-ass sports betting content network. Obviously, I'm impartial saying that. Actually, obviously not, because this show is on the Hammer. So, Clive, welcome to the podcast. Let's uh, do a little icebreaker and ask, how did you get started as a sports better? Well, my first bet on sports was back when I was probably eight or nine years old, like something stupid like that. Like my dad had uh parlay cards and stuff like that, that he would, he would play. Um, but if you're asking when I really started taking it seriously, seriously, it's, it's when the legal sports book started opening up in, uh, in Jersey. Are you a Jersey native? I am. I'm living up in, uh, the Hoboken area now, uh, that was a move that's been taking up a lot of my time the last month. And it's been a hard time finding balance between, you know, sports betting and, and getting this move taken care of. It's so time consuming, but I'm very fortunate. I'm happy to be here where I am now. Yeah, I always joke that Hoboken seems to be the epicenter of where so many sports bettors live that isn't Las Vegas. For like no particular reason other than being close to New York City and all the legal sports books when they started uh, setting up shop, uh, we're in the New York City metro area in New Jersey. Yeah, it's such a good center to to be located now, To uh, especially once New York went live with their legals, too. Uh, just gives you a lot of, a lot of options. Certainly. So you also, besides being a sharp sports better, have a full-time gig. And obviously, the sports betting takes up a ton of time because you're covering a million sports, crushing it with a million angles, so many 90-degree angles. You have a lot of squares around since you put enough 90-degree angles together, four of them, you get a square. How do you balance everything? And like, what does the daily schedule of Clive Bixby look like? Well, call me a sharp, sharp sports better. I guess that's up for debate. Um but what I would say is one thing that definitely helps is building out a network. Because um, when I got started, I, I was pretty much started on my own. It was listening to a lot of different podcasts like uh, Be Better Betters, Circles Off, and um, what is the one that I'm uh, – Bet the Process. Those were the three that really kind of got me started and, and helped me going down the trajectory that I'm at now. Um, but in terms of a day-to-day – especially during NBA season, it's the night before I'm kind of prepping whatever numbers and data sets that I have to look at the next day's games. And then from, I don't know, seven thirty, eight in the morning, watching markets, just want to see how they evolve. Um, depending on whether I'm waiting for injury news or not is whether or not I'll wait to place a bet or I'll place it earlier in the day. Um, and then when I'm not in NBA season or NFL season, I might be just watching the screen for, for off numbers or betting some of the other angles that maybe something I have on props, maybe something, uh, well, I guess I'll leave it at that. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, 
without getting into too much detail. Um, there could be plays with partners that I'm helping them get down on. So it's, it's a lot of different things. I've said this a few times. There's a lot of different ways to win and profit at sports betting. You don't have to use just one method or just one, like you mentioned, angle. Well, that's the whole reason I wanted to start the show because everybody's talking about, here are my picks, check out my picks. By the time you listen, uh, either the game already started or the, the price isn't available. And a lot of these pick shows don't even give a threshold of what they would bet it at rather than teaching people the skills so they can learn how to beat it themselves with something other than chasing steam. Now, obviously, you do some chasing steam as part of your process, but you're coming up with opinions on games yourself mm-hmm. uh, rather than stealing everybody else's work. But of course, if somebody has a really bad number out there, um, it's just, you would hit that number the same reason you pick a $20 bill off the ground. It's exactly. Money. And, you know, that's the way that I basically learned um, how to kind of originate my own opinions was by starting top down, trying to understand uh, market movement and, and what were the important stats or metrics that might lead to market movement. If I would see a team that was consistently getting bet, whether it be, I don't know, let's let's look at the Celtics last year in the NBA, like around, I think it was around January where they kind of turned their season around, started playing a lot more uh, solid defense, and they were just playing really good basketball. But the priors on them had them ranked as a, I don't know, a mid-level playoff team, nothing special. And there were probably two to three weeks it took to the market to fully adjust because, you know, power ratings sometimes are a little bit too heavy on priors. And if you can pick up what's legitimately changed and what's real with a team, that's a place where you can get some closing line value. The Cavs were another team earlier in the year that um, were, I think, undervalued. So I just look for things like that. Um, Whether you want to originate, steam chase, a combination of both where you have your own opinions and maybe you want to wait for market agreement before you place a bet. I mean, that's an, that's another option too, because one of the things that I try to stress to people is you don't know what you don't know. And there's a lot of information out there that maybe isn't public yet. So if you're seeing the market move on something pretty unexpectedly, there might be an injury that you don't know about. So it it does pay to watch the markets and, and see what's happening. Now, does the same apply to uh, lower limit sports in terms of market movement? Because I see it a lot where I find out injury news and the team with the injured player, it shifts in their favor. So, I mean... And and sometimes it's a head fake. (laughs) Sometimes it's a head fake. Uh, I, I think that's where there's value to not just be strictly a top down person to understand as much about the sport and the dynamics of a team as possible. Um, If you're going to react to injury news on a player, I think you have to know what that player's worth before you're going to start reacting to it. Um, Obviously very applicable in the NBA. NFL is a little tougher because I mean, the most important player on the field is a quarterback and that could range anywhere from, I don't know, like a point and a half to seven points worth uh, against a spread, depending on who it is and who their backup is. So I don't, I think it's better to be prepared. Yeah. Cause I noticed one thing that happens a lot is 
the when the limits are raised and the bets come in and like I'm not betting these limits, but other people are. And I'm thinking, what the hell are they doing? Especially when the limits are even higher because it's playoffs of these smaller markets. And a good story for me was last year's Grey Cup, Canadian football, big buff. Winnipeg was crushing every game. They were uh, 14 and two during the regular season, I think, or 12 and two. And there are seven point favorites in almost every game. The Grey Cup is supposed to be a neutral game. But the team they're playing, Hamilton, was the site of the year's Grey Cup. So Winnipeg opened as a two-point favorite. And I was like, this is the best bet of all time. And then suddenly they moved to like a two-point dog. And I was thinking, what the hell? This wouldn't have happened during the regular season. What's going on? And other people were telling me, oh, I'm trading it on Don Best. And I'm chasing steam. And it's just hard to figure out for me. I don't want to lose on closing line value. It's hard to figure out for me when these market moves are just everybody piling on to each other on bad information. Yeah. And that, and that can happen. Um, I think one of the things that's important about closing line value too, is if you can get it early, it gives you options later. So if you did manage to pick up closing line value and you thought this line might've moved too hard in the other direction because of an injury or, or, because of whatever you're mentioning, like with some of these smaller markets they are a little bit easier to influence. Um, there may be reasons for that. So that gives you the option if you want to potentially middle something, or if you want to sell off some of your position, like it just, it gives you a lot of different choices and options to look at. Now, when you put in your MBA numbers and data sets, what do you do to automate the process? So you don't have to do much of the work manually. So that's part of the problem for me is that I do so much of what I do. It is manual. Um, And it is super, super time consuming because I'm not a very strong, technically sound um, sports better. Whereas, you know, I don't really do a good job of, of scraping data. I don't play with huge data sets either, like play by play data. I'm just not there yet. I'd like to get there. But for now, it's me just really pulling a lot of like box scores and things like that into Excel and working in it from there. But there's very little of it that is that is automated. And because I didn't have anything at all for baseball this year, that's why I completely stayed away from it. I wanted to enjoy my summer a little bit. The year before was just so, so taxing. Like, you know what? Is it really worth it? And, you know, Rufus talks about this a little bit. Um, You have to understand life EV a little bit too. Like don't give up everything for sports betting. There will be another day. There's always another sport. Um, So if you can diversify, that's great, but don't let it be all encompassing. So for that reason, because MLB was so, so manual for me, I just stayed away. Yeah. Like MLB, I think it's the toughest mentally to bet, even though I think it's the best betting sport because of the lower margins just because it's every day. Like yeah. at least football's great because it's once a week. And if you're a real degen, you can fuck around with, uh, you got NFL on Sunday, you got college on Saturday, you got your occasional Friday game, Thursday night football for NFL, Thursday night college football, Tuesday, Wednesday, Sun, Sunbelt, Maction. And of course um, you have NBA, you have all the other sports. 
But if you're specialized in something and want to take a break, it's really hard in baseball because you take a three-day break and all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of injuries you have to update and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, it, it gets rough. Um, and one of the things I like about the NBA is, you know, you got your 10 to 12-man roster. I mean, your rotations are, are typically, I don't know, seven, eight, nine guys, depending on the time of the year. It's more than that. But it's not like you're worried about a starting pitcher every day. Right. Like you're not tracking a five man rotation for 30 teams. And it's just, it's so time consuming. You have to worry about who's getting rest. Like, you know, is the starting catcher, you know, taking a day game off after a night game? There's just so many different variables. And you factor in the weather. This year, it was the ball too for totals because I, I like betting totals. And it's just sometimes too much to, to keep up with. So you have to pick and choose your battles and trying to have that. I mean, it's probably not a popular sentiment, but like work life balance, so to speak, you know, it's up to you how much money you want to make work work. Yeah. And you have your sports betting work and you have your life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're, you're trying to balance and juggle all of these things like last year, meaning, you know, not this summer, the previous summer, I love the golf. I didn't get to do that at all because I was so, entrapped in the baseball season well speaking of golf i'm going to give a shameless plug to my friend in hoboken ian rintel of the play hoboken play hoboken has golf simulators and it's awesome as hell uh now they know that you love golf so ian if you're listening i'm plugging you in now funny question i think you would think is what sports don't you bet on and why besides baseball um so when you say bet do you mean originate or do you mean really not bet at all i guess really not bet at all or even originate so for the most part i don't do too much originating with college sports especially this year last year i did a little bit more um just because again the time factor um so i don't really originate that nascar and golf those are more things that if I bet it, it's more kind of a fun, splashy type of bet. Not really something that I expect to be plus EV yet. Um, but my main sports are, are typically, you know, the pro majors. I used to bet a little bit more hockey, but that was more, you know, top down market driven. That wasn't really um, something that I truly originated either. So for me, it's, you know, NFL, MLB, NBA. Those are the three main ones that I've spent the most time on. Now, do you actually watch the sports you bet on? <laughs> Barely. Or sometimes uh, you get old. Well, now, I mean, I watch the NFL very much more closely, you know, given the show that Rob and I do forward progress on Sunday nights. Um, so I, I watch it a lot more, but I've never been a, like a ridiculously heavily invested sweat watcher, if that makes sense. Like I don't, I don't need to watch all of these things happen. And for what it's worth anyway, I mean, if I'm betting the NBA, I might have four or five plays in a night. So how am I really going to pay attention to it all anyway? For the most part, whenever I sweat those types of things, sweating them through box scores and different like game casts, I'm not really watching, watching. It's too hard to keep up with it all. Yeah, But NFL, I do watch that much. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because you also have crazy close the line value on the bet stamp app. That's how you first popped up on my radar and a lot of other people's. So yeah. for you, 
I'm guessing most of the chase is just having a closing line and then the game starts and you think whatever. That really is it. I mean, uh, for me, my goal is truly to beat the market unless I have something that I think the market is not really incorporating, which happens occasionally. Like I, there are times where I think the market isn't necessarily right on a team that does happen. Um, but for the most part, I gauge my success on whether or not I'm beating the market. And because I'm not betting some of these smaller sports or derivative markets, things like that, I think me using the closing line as a pretty good barometer is fine. Now, for your sports betting injury news, what is the best sport in your experience for betting injury news in terms of being able to find out the news and bet on it before it's too late? Uh, it's probably some combination or, you know, some split between the NBA and the NFL. I think baseball is a little bit harder um, because there aren't too many, unless you're talking about a starting pitcher, if you're talking about a position player, unless you're talking about like maybe the top, I don't know, one, two, three percent of the league offensively, it's not really going to affect a number enough to move like a whole half a run. Like you're, you're generally talking about a couple cents off of a total line as an example. Um but NBA and NFL, for sure. I mean, if you can get quarterback news, God bless. Like, if you can get that before it hits the market, you know those numbers will move pretty hard. Um, NBA, it's become more and more difficult, I think, to get the news before the market does. And there are still opportunities, for sure, but you just have to always be ready to execute if that's one of your your key angles that you're going to work off of. Yeah, NBA is one of my favorite sports to watch, but it's probably my worst bet betting-wise, mainly because the injury news just comes so quick that by the time I find out about it, it's too late, and I haven't taken into account kind of how a team's pace will change or even who else will get distributed the ball and how the bench minutes uh, will change. So when you get this injury news, how do you synthesize it to determine what the impact is on the other players? So if I have an idea that I think somebody might be sitting, this is where I I try and prep, you know, the night before. So maybe if there's a a back-to-back or a a three-and-four type of situation, is there a coach with a tendency to sit some of their star players? Like, is is Giannis going to sit, like, as an example? And I try and have that value for Giannis already prepped and already have that in. What does he mean from a defensive standpoint? What does he mean from an offensive standpoint? And is the pace going to change? Um, who is likely to be getting those extra possessions on the team? Is it going to be Bobby Portis or is it going to be more points from Drew Holiday? Something along those lines, right? Like that's that's the type of way that I think about it. And I try and have those stats and ratings ready all year long for those key players. Um, one team where I don't think they suffer as much when a key player sits is the Sixers. And I'm not talking about this year as much, but when Harden came over last year or Joel Embiid sit late last year, Maxi was an incredibly strong player and he upped his game to the point where the possessions that those guys were getting, granted, you're not as strong of a team without them but you weren't replacing them with a replacement level player. Maxi was a guy who just wasn't getting probably enough possessions and being able to um, show what his capabilities were as the third or fourth man on the floor. 
when he is, you know, the number two guy out there, their offense really hasn't suffered as much. So it's just trying to understand those dynamics and it's not easy. Um, but those are the types of things that I like to think through. Ah, okay. So what about if it's a key bench player, do you ever look at the second quarter spreads, uh, you know, the bet against that team, if the key bench player is out since they have rotation? Um, no, that's not something I've really thought a lot about doing. Um, what I will do potentially in those types of scenarios is if I did make an assumption and I was way off on it, I might get off of a bet or I might, you know, put in a, a total bet. Like if the game's playing a lot faster than I think, or a lot slower than I was expecting, I'll do that. But in terms of, you know, first quarter, second quarter bets, that's not something I do a lot in the NBA. Yeah. Cause I like, I do European basketball. And those benches tend to get more minutes than NBA. So I'll look to try and find like key bench players that are out. Uh, Especially if I can get some good English language reports or even foreign language reports, by the way, and try and figure out, okay, who's going to be replacing them. And is it worth betting on against them in the second quarter, as well as I was able to scrape the date of all the scores to figure out the variance uh, between quarters uh, for each particular one, as well as halves, to try and figure out for the alt uh, second or third quarter bets uh, what the best prices are. Um, so that's yeah, where that scraping can come in handy because then you get data that you just can't buy off a web page. Yeah, exactly. You're getting and the raw another... stuff and making your own. Right. And the other thing that you can do is, I mean, and I know a lot of people are out there that do this that are heavy into the props. I mean, when you know Giannis is out, trying to understand how points, rebounds, and assists are, are going to be distributed for the team. And sometimes those markets are a little slower to react depending on the book that you're looking at. So that that is another angle you could play when it comes to, um, you know, a star player sitting. Yeah, especially for certain books that are slow to change their props. Correct. The difficulty yeah. for those ones is the creativity to keep your accounts allowed. Yes, that's why I don't really play a ton in those spaces because in my experience, those are the things that get you limited most quickly. And given all the other time constraints that I have, going out and searching for accounts is not something that I love to do. Certainly, and that's part of why you use the name Clive Bixby and not your real name. Yes, it's not because I'm afraid to share who I am. I mean, obviously now I've been on camera for a couple of different you know, shows and uh, podcasts now. So it's not that I am, you know, hiding where I've had multiple identities, which has been, some people say, and, and, and they do it, I guess. But to me, that's just absolutely ridiculous. I've always been very transparent. So wait, the gambling world claims that you have multiple identities? Not the gambling world, idiots. Um, you know. Well, some of that goes it, hand in hand. True. It's fair. Like, that yeah, the the... Twitter is known for its tolerance of people. No, and you it's, it's... At events like Bed Bash. Right. And, you know, I, I'm grateful for the success that I've had in a short period of time, but I think some people um, find it very hard to believe that, you know, somebody can win at multiple sports um, and just kind of come out of nowhere. And, you know, I've been very fortunate, but 
you know, the truth is I've really only been heavily involved in this space for a little more than like two years now. So without delving into your secret sauce, like what creative methods do you use for getting injury news rather than just looking at the regular websites? There isn't anything, in all honesty. Um, It's trying to understand coaching tendencies, but that's no not no different, but it's no different from handicapping other aspects of a game. Um, one is just more of a, you know, a pre-flop read, so to speak, as opposed to, you know, something like in-game where in the NBA, you might want to look at, all right, well, what coaches are going to continue to foul, you know, down eight or nine with a minute left versus how many you're just going to throw in the towel because that affects your, what your totals are going to look like those types of things. So there's, there's no secret data source or anything out there. Um, it's, it's no more than Twitter in all honesty. Um, building your network can help. I mean, occasionally, you know, you have, you know, people in your network that might get information a little bit more quickly uh, than might get published on a Twitter feed that can help. Uh, but yeah, no real secret sauce there. It's just a matter of, of being as prepared as you possibly can. I mean, I think someone in your network might offer his scraping services for something in return. Okay. Uh, speaking of networking, good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Um, oh, and by the way, for anyone who wants to learn scraping, I don't know Python or any of the languages that has it. I just got a Google add on and got good at it. Um, there you go. But it takes a lot of trial and error. So now you don't mess around with the the quarter bets or the halves. Do you do any alt lines? Very rarely. Very, very rarely. Um, Because the way that I've set up my data to spit out numbers, it's not really based truly on where you're going to get a full distribution of of outcomes. I don't run a simulation model. Um, Basically, what I do is I aggregate data to give me some baselines to work off of. And then that's where the manual work comes in after that. So uh, it's it's not truly a, a model in the sense that, what's the best way to put this, where it's statistically sound, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I have an idea of, and here's a, a, a big reason for that because I'm not scraping in player data or anything, everything's at the team level. Like I have no way of pulling in currently based on my skill set to pull in who played what games, how many minutes to try and get that level of rating down. So ultimately what I'm trying to do is understand in an aggregate, how teams are performing, figure out what the lineup's going to be for that night. And then manually kind of adjust and, and understand where I think their, their rating should sit. It's, something that's worked for me it's not the most uh efficient way of doing it but that's you know all i got so far i mean it's pretty damn good you know especially with some of the people in the space that have respect for you besides me yeah and i mean for nfl like i don't even have like a full-blown model the way like rob you know does and, and he talks about right like he's he's down to the player level and he's in in it very deeply I don't. It, to me, everything everything is market-related to me. And I've just been able to have, I think, 
a relatively good instinct for when a team is under or overvalued or what a player's value should, should be. Um, which is the complete opposite of like my poker playing career where everything was so mathematically driven and so statistically driven through, you know, game theory optimization and just studying and studying and studying. It's why I think I have a hard time uh, reconciling doing anything more than just trying to beat the market. I see. So how long was your poker career and did it involve any tournaments? I wasn't really a big tournament guy. I mean, I played a couple World Series circuit events, uh, but not much more than that. Um, my poker career lasted pretty much all the way up until before COVID in some way, shape, or form. Um, my significant time spent was maybe a couple of one-and-a-half, two-year stretches where I was doing nothing else, and that was my only or my primary source of income, I should say. Um but I didn't enjoy it enough like that. Like it was, I loved it as a hobby, but doing it as a profession, it kind of took away some of the luster. That's what I feel like if I were a professional sports better, I think right. I just wrote to hate it. It's like yeah. all I had to do. Yeah. And I like being able to, it's not linear because you have to also not just win at sports betting, but also figure out how to get your money down. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think Spanky has said this several times in his Be Better Betters podcast. It's, you know, once you learn how to win, that becomes the easy part. And then scaling and keeping it sustainable, then that becomes the challenge. Um, it's very, it's it's an interesting dynamic that you have as a, a profitable sports better. And networking becomes a very, very big part of that. Yeah, it's especially hard to network besides the couple in-person events when everything is online and people have to find Twitter or whatever forums were out there before Twitter. And then they have to deal with the constant people that put people down all the time rather than try and build everybody up. Right. And I think one of the key differences between poker and sports betting is in poker, you are playing against nine other people at a table if you're playing in a full ring game, um, five others if you're playing in like six max, you know, online games. But people are much more willing to share information and things about their edges because you're you're typically not playing specifically against those other people until you get to like the nosebleed sections of of online poker or or live for that matter. But in sports betting if you give up some of your information, that edge can go away very, very quickly. So people hold that stuff much more closely to the vest than, you know, sharing winning strategies in poker. It's, it's always, that's always been very, an interesting dynamic. And which is kind of crazy because poker, you're directly competing against these people all the time where sports betting, it's a little indirect. Right. And, you know, if you have some sort of angle that is not really widely known, if you give that away and too many people start betting it, the book is going to adjust. Or if you are strictly a top-down guy and you have some sort of, call it a system, I don't know, system, a bot, anything like that that's going to help you get down first before the line moves, you're not going to share that with other people unless there's something significant in it for you. 
because it's it's a, it becomes a race. So it's sports sports betting is a very very interesting uh, dynamic that you have to work through. Yeah, especially when you like work in groups where everybody in the group, like Scott, for example, who's on the last episode, I'm in a group with him. We all share like different sort of plays that we're following in various sports. And because I'm a big politics guy, former elected official, and I'm a better, they were asking me what to bet on for the election. <laughs> and I gave some great political betting tips. Now they're probably going to lose, but that's not why I call them great because the value on them were insane because there were some markets that were correlated to other political markets uh, where if there's enough variance, you get a great value, like a plus 500 dog that will probably lose by in a recount, for example. Um, but I was just laughing at myself because I was so busy with my job and other stuff that I didn't even have a time to bet on my own tips yeah, it, it becomes challenging. Um, I mean, balancing everything, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. There's just no two ways about it. Um, on one hand, I, I envy the guys who have these operations that, you know, are strictly dedicated to sports betting and they've been able to scale and do uh, do things the right way to keep themselves profitable over the long term. But then on the other hand, it's like, is it worth it to go down that road? Like what is the, not the top of, what is the top of the range that you can sustainably make over time? You don't want to have a relic. <laughs> well, you know, that's a choice. Like life is all about trade-offs. And I guess the I, mean, I think being is... able to freely urinate is one without leaving your computer, with leaving your computer and being able to do it rather than it... watching the screen and having a piss jar and, and using that so you don't leave your computer. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I they've invented laptops, so I mean, those are portable. You can kind of take those with you. Um, so maybe you might miss one market, but geez, no, everybody does what they got to do. I mean, I used to hear about people, and I since I was never a tournament grinder, like there were people that did the same thing. There were eight, ten, twelve tabling tournaments that had a Gatorade bottle that they would piss into because they didn't want to miss a hand. I'm like, geez, all right, whatever. How do they um, do that with other people around though? Well, this is I'm talking about online poker. So, like, oh, if online, you were playing, okay. yeah. So online, you can eight, ten, twelve table, um, you know, a bunch of different tournaments. But you know, until for a long time, they didn't do coordinated breaks in tournaments then some sites started saying every break would be five minutes to the hour so that people could take those types of breaks. They actually figured that out. Anyway, the idea is whatever income you're making from your, your primary day-to-day job combined with what you're able to do by balancing you know, sports betting, would you rather have that where you can step away from sports betting if you want for a little while? You know, like if you're having a bad run and you're originating and that's gotta be pretty tough. Like if you have a losing couple of months in a row, which is entirely possible. Like if you're trying to dig or you're, you're trying to beat, you know, three, 4% edges where, you know, if you're betting and winning 55%, you're doing a really, really good job. You can have a couple months where, you know, you're basically juicing out every month. It sucks. It sucks when that happens. Um, you know, how do you handle that? It gets pretty tough mentally. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm laughing right now when you say that because I'm on Betstamp as well at Boogie Down CFL. And if you look at my CFL and college football picks, they're beating the closing line by about three to three and a half percent and losing in the last like three or four months. And it just gets so deflating, even though I know I'm right and other people agree with me. Oh, yeah, I got crushed in college basketball last year. I think I had. I had my, I want to say it was my worst month ever in, I think it was either December or January. Um, I think I, I have trauma, so I kind of blocked it out. But I mean, I was murdering the closing line and it basically surpassed everything that I won in NBA. And it, it hurt, it stung. Um, but because that's not what I was drawing as my main source of income, I knew eventually that I would come around and get back to even and, Dealing with the swings is hard when this is your profession. Well, even when it isn't your profession, the swings. Oh, it's are still hard. hard. Yeah, it, it's still hard. I'm not going to pretend that it's. I not mean, hard. luckily, even gambling Twitter, because my stuff's all public. It's in the articles I write. Nobody writes, "Oh, Kevin Davis, you suck." Well, people do write that, but actually, not in reference to my sports betting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and and I'll be like, "Yeah, it's true," but at least I admit it. <laughs> like, I, there, I mean, the reason I started on BetStamp was twofold. One, I wanted to track all of my stuff, and it was much easier tracking against the closing line doing it that way. But two, I wanted to establish credibility and show that you can actually, you know, win money betting on sports. Um, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, so to speak. Um, I think I have Pete on the call right now. <laughs> um, there's only people eating tasty animals. Yeah, I was thinking like, I'm like, all right, there's got to be a better saying than that that's out there right now, but I just don't know what it is. I'll get there. Um, yeah. That so was on the, one of the Circles Off episodes recently. Johnny, I know you're listening. <laughs> I, You know what? That, that actually rings a bell now that you say that. Um, but the idea was to be able to establish credibility, be transparent, these are the things that I'm betting at these prices. And if you can beat the closing line by this much, I mean, this is an idea of, you know, what kind of ROI you could expect and you can do it across multiple sports. And if you have, and if you have a plethora of books available to you, you should be price shopping and show that that does matter. Like why would you pay minus minus one ten when you can go minus one Oh two, you know, now if you're in New Jersey, there's no excuse not to be using profit exchange or sport trade. Um, you know, if you are somebody who's new to the space and your bet size is anywhere, you know, between we'll say, you know, fifty dollars and two fifty, you know, you now have two other good places where you can bet and you only have to win fifty and a half percent of the time relative to like fifty two point four or you know, like you don't have to beat minus 110 anymore. So just be using all of the tools at your disposal to try and figure out how to make money. Now, speaking of minus 102, because you mentioned with your basketball originating, you come up with a number, but you're not looking at the range of outcomes. You're looking at your number. Is that just a spread? Or are you creating a money line price as, in addition to the spread? It's not a money line price. So I create a spread price and I create a total. Um, and, you know, I, I've read Andrew Mack's statistical sports modeling books, um, and I haven't 
gotten to the point where I'm basically shrinking my model to the market um, to understand how much of the market I should be taking in versus how much of, you know, the value should be coming from my model. Um, but I tend to have a good idea based on the numbers that I create, the data that I look at over time to have an idea do I, how much do I think the market's going to move? Not what I think the actual spread should be, but do I think the market's going to move enough? So if it's a spread, you really, I, th- I think the number is you need a, you know, three quarters of a point to be break even. If you're just truly looking at like an efficient market mm-hmm. and a total is you got to beat the market by one point, And at that point you're, you're break even. So from a spread, I need to know that I'm going to beat the market by at least a point, And on a total, I want to be betting it beating at least by, you know, a point and a half to feel comfortable that I'll be eking out a profit. Now, how often on those spreads do you center it around key numbers? Particularly Uh, in blowouts, although that would be a bigger factor in college basketball where there's less pay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the bigger the spread, and again, a lot of this is feel, but like say you're dealing with, you know, a Bucks game where the line is, you know, 10 and a half, 11. There's less value in my modeling going from like, if I think the spread should be 15 or if that's the number that I'm kind of popping out, that's a lot different than if the line is minus three and my numbers say it should be minus six. I'd rather bet the minus six in my number than the minus 15, if that makes sense, because I'm not really truly doing things in a distribution sense. Um, And again, a lot of it's feel. Yes, certainly. Because once you get to that blowout space in any of these sports where it's timed, you got to say, okay, what is this coach going to do when it's clear he's won? Is he going to keep playing the same game or is he going to slow down the pace, put in some scrubs or if it's college, are they going to try and uh, run up the score? So they look better on rankings. Right. And that's where some of those other variables come in that after you get that baseline, you have to kind kind of predict what you think the game state's going to be and and how that's going to go. Even more important, I would say for, for props, probably. Um. All right. So now with middling, um, you mentioned a lot of times that you'll bet something because you think the line's going to move and maybe you'll middle it later. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you ever middle with a spread and a money line or just only spreads? Uh, Spreads and totals. That's it. Yeah, because a lot of times I like doing a small money line favorite. And then sometimes if it moves in a certain way, take the underdog spread. Yeah. So the other option, the other depending thing, depending on the sport and the in the in the actual total. Yeah. Or you know, you you can bet money lines with the intention of scalping later. Um, that's something that I've done in the past. Where if I think a number is really off, you know, you have the option of taking some spread, and you could take some money line and just say, you know what, like I'll scalp the money line portion of it if the number you know gets high enough. So if I have say that I think the wrong team's favored, you know, it's around, you know, I don't know, minus two one way. And I think it's going to end up plus two the other way. You can do that as well. Like being able to beat the closing line really does give you a lot of options. I think the idea is to 
have an idea and a plan for why you're doing what you're doing. It's not like, oh, I'll just put a little on this and a little on this. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to do this because I have the intention of getting off of this number some other way. Or, you know, when you use, you know, sport trade, sport trade is a pretty good example of being able to bet a game pre-flop and you could decide to get off of it in game. Or if you get enough closing line value, you could trade off of it and, you know, sell your position there. Give yourself as many options to win as you can. Um, you know, bet within your bankroll. I think bankroll management is the most underrated part of being a successful sports better. And maybe I'm too conservative. I've heard that I am from other people that I respect in this space. Um, but give yourself options and always leave yourself out. Yeah, those money line prices for heavy favorites on profit exchange are insane. I mean, the underdogs too, but those favorites... Like being able to get a minus 500 when the best out there could be minus seven or 800. Yep. Yeah. All that matters. Price shopping, do what you can. Um, take advantage of, of every book that you can out there. Think about longevity and act accordingly. All right, Clive, do you have any last words for us on this episode of 90 degrees? Last words. That sounds so ominous. Um, well, check uh, Rob Pizzola out and I on Forward Progress uh, on Sunday nights. Now we're doing a live show. But, you know, if anybody has questions, I, I try to answer everybody that I can uh, in my DMs on Twitter. I, I joined Twitter for two reasons, basically. One was to be able to access information a little bit better and, and build a network. And two, to help upcoming sports bettors. And hopefully they don't make the same mistakes that are such easy traps for new betters. Keep them away from the scumbags. Keep them away from people that are, you know, just absolute, basically snake oil salesmen. Uh, so feel free to reach out to me at any time. Clive Bixby 41. Or even the ones that aren't snake oil salesmen, but they have a lot of followers. They're slick, but they don't understand markets. <laughs> what I've always They're just articulate. They know sports, but they can't. They can't understand the importance of, of certain numbers. Yeah. Well, listen, it, one, and if you're not tracking, time. if you're not being transparent and tracking your, your, your data on something like BetStamp, it doesn't have to be BetStamp. I like BetStamp. That's my favorite platform. There are others. Um, but if you're not tracking your stuff in a place where plays can't be deleted, altered, or, or something along those lines, that's red flag number one. And it's, it's funny how some of these, grifters out there in the sports uh sports betting industry space aren't even successful like they're claiming they're the best in the world but you know you could you could buy my place for 25 dollars a month really like you're, you're that good but you know 25 dollars a month for you know a couple subscribers that's that's your trade-off really you know use your head and think if it's too good to be true it probably is all right those are our last words for today Hope you enjoyed 90 Degrees. We have more great content coming.